The more dangerous something is, the more rules it requires, right? Like um, a blow dryer, we have to be told not to use it in the tub because then that could shock you and you could die. So there's lots of things that are like that. And that the more dangerous it is, the more rules that accompany it. So there are way more rules for using a chainsaw than there are for using a handsaw. Uh, there are more rules for a car than there are for a bike. There are more rules for a plane than there are for a train. Um, Andy and I will celebrate 32 years this Thanksgiving of, of marriage, and even after all that time, I'm still learning the rules. Because the more dangerous something is, the more rules are associated with it. Uh, <laughs> you, you guys, uh, half of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> So um, the 40 years while the Israelites wandered in the desert, God brought them out of Egypt. They wandered in the desert before they crossed the Jordan and entered into the promised land. And for those 40 years, is, uh, God was not just showing the Israelite people who he was, but he was instructing them how to live. He was giving them the rules for their new kingdom and their new nation that they would be a part of once they begin to dispossess the people of the promised land. And so um, over the 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert, they learned to follow this God that they really didn't know at that point. Now they're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They're pr preparing to cross to uh, do battle with the city of Jericho. We talked about that a few weeks ago and then begin to take possession of the promised land. It's a land full of people, uh, people who were sold out to the worship of any and every false god. They were um, people who treated each other terribly. Uh, they degraded women. They sacrificed their own children to the false gods that they worshiped. They chased every sexual and sinful appetite they had. Um, the people of the promised land were not good people. In fact, the reason that they, were, that they were being dispossessed from their land was because of the severity of their sinfulness. And sometimes we look at this story and they go, we go, how could God tell Israel to, to go out and to, to force all these people out of their land? Well, it was because of the just abhorrent sin that the people of that part of the world and that part of the country were involved in. The Israelite people, though, they were supposed to be different, different from the nations around them, different in the way that they treated people, different in their worship of just one God versus every God you can imagine, different in the way that they treated each other, um, male and female, the way they handled marriage, different in the way they looked, in the way they handled money and power and position. And so what we find in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is all the ways the nation of, of Israel, the people of God, were to be different from the nations that they were to replace in the promised land. And so we're going to kick off this new series called The Money Monster, uh, looking at how radically different the nation of Israel was to be from the nations around them when it came to the issue of money. We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 15, the first three verses. Here's what uh, he says. At the end of every seventh year, 
cancel all debts. We're all like, I'm on board with that, right? <laughs> Sign me up. He says, this is the procedure. Everyone who has lent money to a neighbor writes it off. You must not press your neighbor or his brother for payment. All debts are canceled because God says so. You may collect payment from foreigners, but whatever you have lent to your fellow Israelite, you must write off. Now, imagine that for a moment. Every seventh year, your debt canceled. Your car payment, gone. Your student loan debt, erased. Your mortgage, burned up. Like, what a world that would be! That would be so exciting. We would just be, like, that would be really cool. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, actually, if that happened... I'm pretty sure that our national economy would just collapse. <laughs> we, could not handle, we could not handle that, I think. This was a, a radically, and, and probably for most people, a, a ridiculous rule from God. Now, if you um, are the kind of person who has a lot of debt, this is really exciting. If you are, on the other hand, the person who owns that, that debt, right? Like you're the one receiving the payments because you're the one that loaned the money. Not, not so exciting. Uh, if you're the one that is going to be out the money that you haven't been paid, then that becomes a problem. And you're like, wait a minute, God, I don't think I like this. Uh, I like this rule. Um, especially like, again, if you were the one who was financially able to loan the money to other people, but if you were poor, this, this isn't just a rule, it's a, it's a relief, right? It, it means that you can breathe again. It means that you get your child or maybe yourself out of debt slavery. It means that creditors lose your number. It means uh, the repo man goes after somebody else. Like if you're poor, this is really exciting. But remember that um, with, uh, when we read the Bible, we often read our lives and our situations into scripture, right? So we, we read about this rule that God has instituted. Every seventh year, cancel all debts. And we begin to think about what would happen if that was us in our situation, our economy, our debts that were being canceled. And, and really, we probably have one of, of two perspectives on this rule from God. I think the first uh, way that we might look at this is just with frustration. Like um, those who would overextend themselves with debt, knowing that the seventh year was coming, and so they're taking advantage of the system. Like they're, one of the ways we look at it, like, I don't like that. I think that's wrong because we think of it in terms of, of us and ourselves. And we know people who would leverage themselves financially because they know at the end of that seventh year, that debt is going to be canceled and they're going to be free and clear. And so we, we would maybe have a problem with that, some of us anyway. I think the other way that we could look at it is just like we could be fascinated by this. The idea that you could essentially get something for next to nothing and, and so you might borrow more than you could afford to repay. But we have to remember, one of the things we talk about a lot is going back and placing yourself into the context of Scripture and what was actually going on, what it was like for the people of, of that day. And, and we have to go, okay, 
The Israelites, they, they didn't have um, homes, they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers, they didn't have car payments, they had, they had camel payments, I guess. I don't know how that worked exactly, but it was different, right? It was not the same. Um, people really in that day, in that time, they, they didn't have these ideas that we could go out on credit and we could leverage ourselves. They didn't have credit cards. It wasn't like that at all. For most of them, they never borrowed money from anybody for anything unless there was a, there was a, like a big major thing that happened. And so um, they were not buying cars. The banks were not lending money to people who were bad financial risks. Uh, they didn't have large savings accounts, like probably a lot of us. And so if a child got sick, if a dad broke his leg or, or uh, died suddenly, um, or a crop was lost, it could mean financial ruin. I mean, most of the people in Moses' day were that close um, to just being homeless and, and destitute. And a lot of people today are in that same position. Not because they've leveraged themselves financially and they've taken on way more debt than they can afford, but just because they're trying to live and, and, and get ahead somehow, something happens and then all of a sudden they find themselves in need. And so these people were not seeking luxury in their lives like many of us do today. We buy things that we don't really need and we buy them on credit and we think, oh, you know, I'll make it, it'll be okay. They weren't seeking luxury, they were just trying to live. So this was about just day to day getting by. And so if you borrowed money, it wouldn't be for a luxury, it was because you needed food on the on the table, you needed to make it through that next day or that next month. And so the reason you might lend money to another person was maybe uh, there's a solid business venture. There's this opportunity here and you're gonna lend money to get that going or maybe to help them through a, a medical or other emergency. Like people were not just blowing money on things they didn't need. That This loaning of money and debt canceling, it was really about necessity. And, and so the rule from God is forgive every financial debt every seventh year. And I know that seems um, extreme to, to some of us as we look at that. Holy cow, um, that, that just seems like, this is crazy. But God always has a reason for everything that he does. And so we're going to look in the next few verses at the reason that God instituted this rule to cancel debt every seven years. Here's what he says. There must be no poor among you because God is going to bless you lavishly in this land that God, your God, is giving you as an inheritance, your very own land. So remember, Israel's been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They're about to go across the Jordan and uh, do battle with Jericho and then begin to, to take the promised land. Um, and, and so God is saying, when you get there, there should be no poor among you because God in that land is gonna bless you so incredibly. But he's only gonna bless you if you listen obediently to the voice of God, diligently observing every commandment that I command you today. Oh yes, God, your God will bless you just as he promised. 
And so you will lend money, uh, you will lend to many nations, but you won't borrow from any. You'll rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. So Moses is laying this out for the people as they're ready to jump into this new kind of nation building thing and all the stuff that's gonna happen. And God's been, again, not only teaching the people who he was, but laying this foundation through rules and commands about how the nation was to function once they became a nation and they had their own place to live. They had their own home. And so God is laying all of these things out and he says, if you follow my commands, it's not just about uh, lending money to each other, but as a nation, you're gonna be able to lend money to other nations. You're gonna rule other nations and they won't rule or lend to you because I am going to bless you. And so first, I want you to notice that um, Moses' command here is more like a commentary. When he says, there must be no poor people among you, he's not saying that as a a command. We'll see that in a few verses uh, down here in just a moment. He's not saying it's a command. He's saying there shouldn't be any poor people among you because... God is going to bless you so abundantly. And so he wasn't commanding there be no no poor people. He was saying, God was going to bless you as a nation. God is going to bless you as a nation so much that there isn't any need for anyone to be poor because there would be so much to go around. Did you see the difference there? So he wasn't saying, you know, I command you not to have any poor people. There's always going to be poor people. But there's going to be so much blessing That if you follow the command of God, if you bless, if you give, if you cancel debt, if you help and share, there isn't need for anybody to be poor. Now, I want to pause here just a minute, because when we talk about money in terms of scripture, that that gets um, a little dicey for us sometimes, right? There's very few things in our lives that get us more worked up as, uh, you know, red-blooded Americans than when somebody talks about our money and, and makes some statements about what we're to give, what we're to keep, how we're to function with our money. We just don't like people talking about that or telling us what to do. So I want to kind of go back and make sure we understand what's going on here. Moses is not saying that you can simply refuse to work or you can choose to blow whatever money you have on um, booze or camel races. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying, I don't know what else they blow money on, but surely there was betting. They had lots of camels. So that's probably uh, what was going on. So Moses isn't saying that if you are irresponsible with money and you blow it, you use it incorrectly and you choose to be destitute because you just don't have the ability for whatever reason to um, maintain that or to keep that. He's not saying that, um, that, that if you're in that position that everything should just be taken care of for you. Okay, this is not in scripture. Sometimes we think maybe, maybe what God is trying to do is kind of put everybody on the same level. And so if you have a lot, you should give everything that you have so that you are on the same level as somebody else. But, but look, if, if that's the case and I'm responsible with money and I uh, help myself and I'm, and I'm diligent and I don't waste it, I don't blow it on things, and my neighbor does take all the money that he has and blows it on whatever, if I give all the money that I have worked and scrimped and saved for to my neighbor, what's he going to do? He's going to blow it. 
then he's not going to have anything and I'm not going to have anything and I won't be able to help him the next time. So when God talks about money in scripture, he's not saying that we should give everything so that we become lower than somebody else so, because then we won't be able to help. So there's a distinction here. There's a difference in the Bible between those poor by choice and those poor by chance. So um, look, look at the, the, next, uh, the next bit. He says, if you diligently observe every commandment that I command you today. And so there were commands in Deuteronomy and in the rest of the Old Testament, in the um, Torah, those first five books, there were commands about being drunk. There were commands about being irresponsible. There were commands about blowing your money or how you should save and how you should live. There were commands about what happens if you don't care for your family and how you should care for your family. But if you obeyed the commands of God, you might still get leprosy or you might still break your ankle and be unable to work. And so Moses is saying, those poor, you are to help. Those who refuse to pay a debt would go back and go, well, you know, man, if every seven years my debts are canceled, I'm just going to rack up a bunch of debt. And then the seventh year, debt's going to be forgiven, and I can just spend the next seven years racking up a bunch of debt again. But that is, that is not what's um, going on. Those who refuse to pay debts in the Old Testament, you can read about it, they could be taken to court. And, and the courts would um, adjudicate that and, and could force them to pay or um, become servants or slaves in order to repay that debt. But if you lent to your friend or neighbor, if you lent to a fellow Israelite because they were, uh, and, and they became for whatever reason unable to pay you back or to pay you back in full over an extended period of time, by the seventh year, you, if you had the means, were to generously and graciously release them uh, from their debt. And so the rationale becomes because God is going to bless you so abundantly, you should bless others accordingly. Now, we see this all over scripture, don't we? What give and it'll be given to you. Then we talk about sin and, and scripture tells us that we should forgive the sin of those people who, who do things against us because God forgives our sin. So over and over again, we're told to respond to people accordingly because God has blessed us abundantly, whether that's the forgiveness of sin or the forgiveness of debt. Remember that the two highest ethics in scripture, they're to love God and then to love others like God loves them. And so um, greed is the opposite kind of, of generosity. Greed is about loving self. Um, if I have greed, it's because I love me. I want to make sure that I have what I want. It's about, greed is about keeping everything I have. It's about getting everything close and keeping it close and guarding it close and making sure I've got cameras on everything and bars on the doors and windows so that I can keep everything that I have. Greed is about I. I want, I get, I keep. Greed says I don't have enough even if I have it all. But on the opposite side of that spectrum is, is this idea of giving or generosity. And giving is really about loving others, right? For God so loved the world that he gave 
his only son. And so we're called to give like God does. Giving is about loving others. It's about casting instead of keeping. So it's about sharing with other people what God has given to us. It's, it, giving is about, is about we. It's not just about me and what I want and the things I get, but it's about we. How can we grow? How can we be better? How can we lift each other up? Giving says, unlike greed, which says I, I don't have enough even if I have it all, giving says I will share what I have even if I don't have it all. What I have, what God has given to me, I'll share some with you. So by being generous through this rule of canceling debt every seven years, the people of Israel would be a blessing to each other, just in the same way God had been a blessing to them. It's like we say here at Real Life, look more like Jesus every day. When we give, when we're generous, when, we, when our lives are about, about we and about sharing what we have, even if we don't have it all, when we give, we look like God who didn't spare his son Jesus, but gave him in our place to die on the cross for our sin. So God gave his son so that we might get the life that we don't deserve. And then he simply says, I want you to give like me. I have given to you, and so I want you to give to others. The, the idea, in fact, I think Sarah talked about this um, earlier this year in a giving talk. The idea is um, a closed hand versus an open hand. So greed says, I'm going to get everything I can and I'm going to keep it. But at some point, I don't have room for any more. If you live your life by giving with an open hand instead of a closed hand, you're able to give to other people, but you're also able to receive from God. And so this cycle begins where God blesses us, exactly what he wanted to do with the nation of Israel. God blesses them, and then they bless each other so that God can bless them some more. And God never asks us to give what we don't have so that someone else might have what we don't. He asks us to give from what we've been given so that we can then be generous because God has been so generous to us. Let's look at how this plays out in the, in the next few verses here. When you happen on someone who's in trouble or needs help among your people with whom you live in this land that God is giving you, so he's going back to like, don't forget, God's giving this to you. It's a blessing. He's blessing you abundantly. Don't look the other way pretending you don't see him. Don't keep a tight grip on your purse. No, look at him. Open your purse. Lend whatever and as much as he needs. Don't count the cost. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? Because we, we do that just all the time. Man, if I give here, I'm not going to have enough for there. God says, don't count the cost. Don't listen to that selfish voice saying, it's almost the seventh year. You know what's gonna happen. You're gonna have to cancel that debt and then you're gonna be out that money. He said, don't turn aside and leave your needy neighbor in the lurch, refusing to help him. And here's why. Because he might cry out to God. He might get God's attention because of the situation and because of your blatant sin. So we go back to this issue of money. The issue of money is never about money. It's always about our heart. 
God knows our hearts. He knows that money can be a magnet for greed and it can kill generosity. And so God doesn't say, look, go out in the streets and wherever and look for every person that you might find that might be in need. He says, if you come across somebody, if I bring somebody into your path who has a need, assume that I'm involved in that situation. And I've put you there to help meet that need. But you can't or won't meet the need if you're holding on to every penny you have in greed. He says, instead of that, with a generous heart, give to meet the need to the extent that you're able, not thinking about all that you might miss out on. If I, if I give my lunch to this person, I'm not going to have lunch today. But then you got to stop and think. Um, I might give my lunch to this individual who might not eat again for the rest of the day. I might not have lunch but when I get home, I've got a fridge full of food. I don't have to worry about it. So yeah, I might go hungry for a little bit, but in the grand scheme of things, I've got plenty. I'm gonna have lunch tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Do you see how the attitude begins to change? Um, so we're not supposed to think about the things that we might miss out on or that we might never see that money again. Oh no, what's gonna happen? Because we have a God, he already said, who's blessing us abundantly. And so we've been given this rule, right? Every seventh year, he says, cancel debts or forgive debts. And he gives us the, the rationale. God is gonna bless you and he's gonna continue to bless you so that you can then be a blessing to other people. And so now here's the risk. If you refuse to help, your neighbor may pray and may point you out to God, not in a good way, right? Not like God, this person helped me, bless them, but God, this person refused to help me and might point out your greed. And so um, here's the risk. Not acting when you have the ability is sin. Yikes. Not acting when you have the ability is sin Check it out. If, if you don't have the means to give, you won't be sinning if you don't give. But if you have the means and you refuse, God takes that personally. And, and we got to remember, we don't get to fool God. We don't get to fool God. We might have it, but pretend that we don't. Um. It gets sticky, right? Because I've you know, been a preacher for a long time, I've dealt with a lot of people in a lot of different situations. And um, I, I remember years and years and years ago, not here at Real Life, I um, heard about a family that was struggling financially. Somebody just came to me and said, hey, I happen to know this family's uh, having some struggles and so you might wanna check on them. So I, I, I went to them and, and said, hey, uh, I just heard that maybe there were some issues, maybe some financial issues uh, in your home. Is there a way that, that the church can, can help you? Do you need anything to get you through? And uh, what I was told was, uh, no, I think we're okay. 
We've got, and he like listed several things. We've got this um, four-wheeler that we can sell. We've got this other thing, these toy kind of things that we can sell, things we don't necessarily need. And so we're gonna be okay. You know, uh, um, so we can sell these things off. We can, we can have some money and we can continue to provide. Don't take the church's money to help us. Um, a, a while after that, I was told about another family that was in need. And so went to that family, said, hey, I heard you, you might be in need. And, um, and, and that family accepted help from the church. But um, what I happened to know about that situation was that um, they had a, a, a Christmas fund and a this fund and a that fund. And, and, and part of the reason they didn't have enough money to get through the month was because they were having so much money taken out of their check to, to go into savings and the 401k and then this and then this and then this. So when you looked at it, you're like, they really had the money to take care of themselves, but they would have had to sell something or get money out of something in order to do that. And so you, I would much rather help though. I mean, we're gonna, it's God's money. We're gonna do whatever we need to do with it. Um, but I would much rather help those people who are already making plans to do what they can to make it work. than those people are saying, yeah, help me so that I don't have to take from my stash back here. God knows what we have. God knows what we need. And if we go back a few verses, God says, look, you can bless because I'm blessing you. And I've got access to everything. There's nothing that you're gonna need that I can't give to you. And so when you pretend like this pot you have over here that you're keeping control of and you're keeping that away for a rainy day and so you can't touch that, you can't give that, he's like, I know. That's why we say money is an issue of the heart and it's not just about money. It's never just about money. And so the risk is that if we don't act when we have the ability to act and God knows that, then that is sin. When we refuse to help, we're refusing God. And so how should we respond when we're presented with a need? That's what we find out next. He says, give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle matters like this, it triggers God. Now, I've used the message uh, version today on purpose because I felt like it was a little easier to understand, but the, I also used it because of this word, because that's been a big word since uh, the last few years anyway, right? Well, we're gonna explain that in just a minute. The way you handle matters like this, money matters like this, it triggers God, your God's blessing in everything you do, all your work and ventures. There are always going to be poor and needy. Remember this started out with, there will be no poor among you, and then now he says, there's always going to be poor and needy um, people among you. So I command you, always be generous. Open your purse and hands. Give to your neighbors in trouble, your poor and hurting neighbors. This is how God expects his people, people he has already promised to bless, to handle situations like this. Give freely and give spontaneously. When you see a need and you have the ability meet it. Because the way we respond to God or to the needs of others, it triggers God. Not like, um, it's not like being triggered uh, today, but it triggers God to either act 
by blessing us in all of our work, all of our financial endeavors, all of our ventures and things that we might be into, or it triggers God to begin to withhold those blessings that he's promised until we begin to respond to money the way that he has commanded us. And so Moses says, there will always be poor and needy people, so you will always have the opportunity to practice generosity. And when we practice generosity, we fight off greed. Let's pray. God, thanks for your love and your grace and for giving to us so much. You are an incredible God who does far beyond all that we can ask or imagine because you are blessing us and you have control of everything. And so as we begin this series, God, help us to view money the way you do. It's a tool that we use for the kingdom. Help us to be generous, to be spontaneous. When we see a need, God, give us the desire and then the ability then to help, to meet that need, whatever it might be. As we are able, help us to give not because we feel like we have so much, but because we have so much in you. Because we know that when we give, it triggers you to respond to us and you will give so that we can give. And it just becomes this huge, generous circle. This like snowball going down a hill that just gets bigger and bigger. And as we are more generous, you become more generous to us. And it's just incredible to see so God, help us to be a people, help us to be a church that responds to the needs of others this way, that doesn't withhold because of greed, but is generous because you are generous to us. Thank you, God, for loving us, for giving to us, for all the good things that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, um, give me just a few more minutes. In many ways, real life has been like the nation of Israel. For 15 years, we have wandered, and like the desert wandering days of Israel, we've had no place to call home. We've been dependent on others. We've been dependent on uh, places to meet our needs. We've had to pay for the things that uh, that we use that belong to other people that are not ours. Like Israel, Over the last 15 years, we've been learning how to trust God as he leads us in ways and to places that we did not know. And every step of the last 15 years, we have simply tried to be obedient and to follow God. What we didn't know was that he was actually leading us somewhere, even though we didn't really know where that would be. And so um, here we are symbolically standing on the banks of the Jordan River, so close to home and yet so far from it. And like Israel, we continue to seek God, to live according to his rules to the best of our ability, to love him and to love others like he does. And our goal, just like it was for Israel, is to keep following God, to keep trusting God, to keep obeying God, even when we're no longer wondering. And people, we, (laughs) 
to do this was going to happen. We are nearly home. This last Wednesday evening, the city commissioners accepted our offer and directed the city manager to take the necessary steps to finalize the sale. And though there's a... <laughs> just, just, just wait. Don't get all your clapping out now, just wait. <laughs> though there's still a lot to do before we sign on the dotted line, we couldn't wait any longer to tell you. The Civic Center will be real life's new home. Welcome home. <laughs> um, I can't give you all the, the details yet again because we're still working all of that stuff out. Um, but this entire building, this entire lot is going to be real life. Um, and, I, and I'm gonna, as, as we're able to unfold more stuff, you're gonna find out um, that 25 years ago, when this building was built, it was built for us. And you're gonna see how that, how that plays out. Um, and I, and I want to tell you um, that this had nothing to do with me. I did not want the Civic Center. I did not think about the Civic Center. Um, uh, somebody brought that up to me about 10 weeks ago. Uh, and I don't give the whole story away, but I'm just going to tell you from beginning to end, God was involved in this every step of the way and every week as we find out more about what's going on, about the building, about all the, th I'm just like, I'm just continually amazed. Um, and so hopefully this week, I will sit down with the city manager and we will begin to plan out what that transition looks like and we'll have to get all of the details and all of the things together. Um, but my hope is that by the end of the year, uh, this will be official, it will be done, it will be paid for, and, um, and, and this will be our home. So, uh, so be excited with us. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, like what other announcement could top that? Um, let's just say thank you, God, and, uh, and, and, and I'll see you here uh, back home next Sunday.